0: Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message.
1: Man, God's already moving in our midst. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor. We're going to continue to experience God together today. Hey, I also want to make this announcement. I know it's getting a little tight in here. You know, good problems to have, good challenges to have. We got some ideas of how to solve that by next week. So if you're a little tight and you're like, ah, this is a little close together, we're going to try to solve some of that by next week and get it all fixed out. So just a, just a heads up, don't, don't freak out over that. But we're going to continue to experience God together today. And if you're part of our church, then you know that our normal routine is that I always celebrate as we get started. And today I want to celebrate in a most unique way. First of all, last week, and they probably mentioned this, last week down in South Shore, we had our one year anniversary for our South Shore campus. Yep. <laughs> Pastor Mike and Christine are doing an amazing job down there. God's moving every Sunday. It's awesome to see and to follow. But secondly, I want to be able to announce this. Uh, I love this. Part of my job as a pastor, in fact, honestly, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is I get to garden the seeds that God puts in people's hearts oftentimes. And so people will come with an idea or a thought or what have you, and I just get to kind of help out in that process. And, uh, and I've been able to do that a little bit for the last several months behind the scenes uh, with Joel and Brittany Malet and watching what God's doing in their life and kind of calling things out of them that sometimes they didn't even know is there. And it's just fun to be a part of something like that. And. And the long story short is that for the last several months behind the scenes, I've been talking with Joel and Brittany about planting a church and their calling to plant a church. And so excited to tell you now that uh, next year, I think Palm Sunday, and they'll talk about that in a second, but uh, we'll be helping to launch Salvation City Church. Yep. Yeah, somewhere in Tampa, that church will be there. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so we've been able to walk beside them through that process. Now let me answer a couple quick questions uh, just right off the bat or or statements as we go. Number one, I want to say this. I know how people think. And there's some of us, if we come from an old school in this room and I'm calling you out, that'll go in your heart, if not out of your mouth, well, why do we need another church? Let me tell you why we need another church because there's still people that need Jesus. And until everybody knows Jesus, we need more churches. There are not enough churches. Say, well, the churches aren't filled up. That's their problem. Come on. here's the thing, we need more churches. I believe that God's going to do a revival that's coming that our churches can't handle. There are not enough churches in the area to handle them if they were all packed. And uh, so Salvation City Church needs to be a part of that. Uh, secondly, we, we're just different around here in our church. And so for our one-year anniversary of South Shore, we could very easily take up an offering for ourselves and be like, you know, you know continue to sow into the kingdom of what God's doing in South Shore and take up a special offering. But we said, no, we don't want to do it for us. We want to sow into another church. And so in a moment, it. You're going to have an opportunity if you would like to give towards Salvation City Church and their launch uh, in March of next year. And I encourage you to do that. Aid and I will be doing that. So, so, secondly, give. But then, right after that, I want to say this. And this is what's really weird about us. Our DNA of our church is we are very kingdom minded and we are very open handed with people. Many of you grew up in churches that weren't that way and people were like really closed. We're not that way at all. So, if you feel like you want to go with Joel and Brittany and help start this church, I want you to know that you have my full permission. If you feel God leading you to go that way, even if it's a season, and you feel like maybe God's calling me to help plant this church, do me a favor, come tell us, because we don't like it when people just disappear, that's not fun, um, so come tell us, but we're wide open to that, man, we are all part of the same church, and if somebody goes from our church to help start another church, we haven't lost anything, the kingdom of God just gained some more volunteers in another church, so that's, that's kind of our DNA, so even this morning, you might feel led that way, and I want to give you permission to feel led that way, that's okay, and uh, uh, we are very open with people, that's why God keeps sending us more people, that's why we plant churches out of our church, and not just campuses, and so really excited about that, but just for like five minutes or so, I want to bring up Pastor Mike Braddock, our South Shore Campus pastor. Y'all remember him? It's been a while. It's been a while. He is killing it with our South Campus, and he's been working a whole lot with Joel Malick, Pastor Joel, I should start saying now, Pastor Joel Malick and Salvation City Church, and so he's going to interview Joel for just a minute, and you'll get to hear his heart on Salvation City Church.
2: Thank you, Pastor. What's up, Brandon family?
0: Hi.
2: You know what's a good thing is I look out, and a lot of you I've never met before, which is a good thing, because that means our church is growing, and that we're not the same four more, no more church, whatever you want to call it. I'm so glad to be with you today, and I honestly could not be here for a better reason, to be honest with you, because I, in the last couple of months, have been spending some time with Joel Maylett in the launching process and the building process of Salvation City Church, and I am probably just as excited for him, than as Brittany is. She's like, disagree, but it's okay. Here's the deal. I know God is going to use this church mightily, and I wanted to just take a few minutes in service today to interview him and kind of let you guys get an idea of what Salvation City is going to do. Now, first and foremost, I've got to ask this question. This name, bro, is like, it's Fuego. It is good. Salvation City Church. Give us some origin. Give us some, some back, background.
0: Absolutely. So Salvation City Church, it's really, it's really a prophetic statement over the city of Tampa. And uh, we believe that a city can be saved yep. and that the Bay, you know, Tampa Bay is known as the, the Bay of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're believing to see bars shut down. We're believing to see child sex trafficking st- stopped. We're believing to see the whole city transformed by the glory of God. And, uh, you know, I believe just like what Pastor Brent was sharing that uh, on the heels of this pandemic, there's not enough churches to hold the amazing harvest of souls that's coming in. I truly believe Amen. that. I think people are tired of being lied to, of being tricked, and they're looking for hope. And when this thing is all over, the churches are going to be bursting at the seams, and we're going to be a part of that. You know, personally, I've seen how God can use a problem and turn it into providence. You know, many people in this room are familiar with my story in battling cancer years ago. And uh, I told the Lord uh, about a year and a half ago, I said, God, if you take this thing from me, I'm gonna, I'll serve you 100%. And many people in this room helped, uh, helped that progress, that process. And I stand before you today, cancer-free, of course, glory to God. But for a reason and for a purpose, God set us apart for, this, for, this, for such a time as this, for today. So Salvation City Church is really just a prophetic proclamation over our city.
2: Absolutely. That's so powerful. And- And when I first started sitting with Joel and this started kind of being birthed in him and the Lord began to show this to him, um, he he told me Salvation City Church is where he's headed. And there's a subline which kind of segues into the next part. There's a subline of hope in every home. And I, I really love that idea. But also there is also a vision statement and a mission around the idea of that. So would you share with us your vision and mission? Absolutely. So I just want to share kind of the vision that God's been giving us.
0: You know, when, when we first felt the call about five to six months ago, and I sat in Pastor Brent's office week after week just weeping, what are you doing? What is it like? Because he called that out of Brittany and I, uh, this, this plant. But uh, I decided, you know what, I, I could very easily copy and paste another vision. The vision of this church is so potent and so powerful. But God said, no, I, there's something unique that I want to speak to you and through you. So. We go into the secret place, seek the face of God, come out with with a word or a phrase and go back to the secret place and come come out with just a sentence and weeks and even months of seeking God. And he he began to show us a one, three, five vision is how he revealed it to us. And I'm just going to walk you through, walk us through that for a moment. So we have one mission, and that is to see our city saved through the revelation and manifestation of Jesus Christ in every person, family, home and community. We got one mission. That's Jesus that mission is supported by three pillars, three things that are, that are going to be strong, a big focus for us. And the first is Jesus, the revelation and manifestation of Jesus. Having Christ reveal himself through his word, through prayer, through worship, and have him manifest through salvations, through healings, through deliverance, through life change, which we've already been seeing. We've seen six salvations. We've seen two physical healings just in the past few weeks of small gatherings. Um, so God is, God is moving and uh, our second pillar is the systematic strengthening of families. You know, Brittany and I, we're, we're a young family. We've got our, our third on the way in December. And uh, praise God. <laughs> and then we're, <laughs> we're church, natural church growth. Amen. Yeah. So um, due on uh, December, December 26th, though. But our, our heart is for, for families. To learn how to engage in their faith, not just in a building, but to take that home. And how to operate with their spouses and their children and with each other and their own houses. How to take that home. Because if you can't, if you can't, I'm not going to preach here. I'm I'm to But if you can't, if you can't walk out your faith with, with your own family, how do you expect to walk it out with other people? That is the so testing good. ground where you sow what you believe in into the people that are closest to you. Anyways, our third pillar is concerning hope in every home, which is our tagline and that is the the uh the establishment of what we what we're calling house fires Uh, these will be home groups right from the very beginning that are going to go on all throughout the week of prayer worship uh, studying the word of little fires lit all throughout the city of tampa continuously in seeking god so there's our three pillars and then really quick we have five five cultures is how god revealed it to us culture meaning how we treat each other how we make decisions our thought process really our day-to-day actions are boiled down to these five cultures i'm going to hit on quickly the first is faith culture and every culture has a question with faith culture we ask what do i believe we make decisions based on what we believe do we believe that life begins at conception yes so how are we going to make decisions based on that etc you can take that to however far you want so that's faith we have a hope culture hope sees the end result of what god sees and we're dis- we decide that in every person, in every situation, we decide to see with God's eyes what the potential of, of each individual, of each problem, what God can do, seeing with the eyes of hope. And our third culture is a love culture. Love gives, and we believe in giving, giving to our community, giving to our people, giving back to the body of Christ in any way, shape, or form. Our fourth culture is health culture. You know, when God began to reveal these cultures to us, I realized that no matter what we write down, it's going to be a reflection of, of who, who I am and who uh, Brittany and I are. And I had a, a very major health journey. And so God said health culture is going to be important. You can tell something is healthy when there's fruit. We're not people judgers, but we are fruit judgers. We do tell by fruit. So we're always going to ask, is something bearing fruit? Is this relationship bearing fruit? Is this ministry bearing fruit? What is the fruit? And that's where a healthy culture comes. And then, fifth, we have a united culture, and this is of utmost importance in this time of the church, where we must come together. Right? That's why this, this is happening because of the focus and the push on unity of the body of Christ coming together. So we'll always ask, Am I acting in unity? So that's our one, three, five. We actually have um, bookmarks at our table, which is going to be in the in the welcome in the. Um, I want to say foyer (laughs) in Main Street, Uh, just with our information, with a 135 vision, with our website and such, which we could talk about in a minute. But that's our mission.
2: Absolutely. And that segues so well into the next question. Maybe people want to find out more about Salvation City and how to get connected, how to pray, how to give, et cetera. What's the next step for anybody who's interested? Sure. So there's a few next steps. Uh, Our website is live. You can go to
0: SalvationCityChurch.com. We're also live on social media. You can see kind of the vision and what God's been doing on those outlets. Um, We'll also have a table with more information on some next steps. We're having an interest meeting today at 4 p.m. at our home, which is around the corner from here in Brandon. The address is at the table. And then we also have one this Wednesday at 6.30 as well. This is just an opportunity to hear the the big idea of what God's doing. And uh, if anything, just to come in here to know how to pray and to know how to just connect your faith with us. And as the Lord leads, people will come and join alongside of us. I think there's people in this room that have just kind of this, 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 this thing for, for being a part of something new and fresh, and being on the ground level of those things. We're, we're looking for people. So maybe God is leading you to, to give this morning or to, to pray but, or, or, or to join us. But uh, those are all ways that you can, you can join us. And uh, there's more information at the table.
2: So good. So good. So you have three next steps that you can walk down. The first one, like he said, go out there, find out more at the table in Main Street as to how you can actually connect with him and go with him. If whenever he was talking, something started like going off inside of your spirit, like, I got to be a part of that thing. Don't don't hesitate like Pastor Brent said let me let us know that you, we're not like what in the heck happened they just disappeared one day they raptured um <laughs> no but if you if you decide to go with them then just come let us know and be a part of what they're doing secondarily maybe you're like hey I, I'm not I don't have the ability to to go. I don't feel led to go, but I will pray. I grabbed a bookmark from Joel a couple of weeks ago at his house, and I put that bookmark on on my refrigerator. And when I walk by it and I see it, I stop and I pray, sometimes for a minute, sometimes for a little longer, sometimes, you know, the Lord will just put on my heart to pray for him throughout the day. But you can always pray, whether you decide to go or give, you can always pray. Anybody can pray. And then the third thing is to give, and we're a church that is generous. We believe in giving and sending. I'm so thankful that at the one-year mark of our campus in South Shore, we are a church that says, hey, we know this needs to happen in Tampa even more, so we're going to go. We're going to give. My wife and I are going to prepare a gift as well, and there's a couple of ways you can give. I'm going to make this very clear because last week we kind of missed the mark a little bit in South Shore, but I want to share with you. If you want to give, the easiest way is to give via text. You can text the amount, which would be like, you know, $50,000. That's how much you want to give today, right? So, dollar sign five four zeros. Yes, that's four zeros. We know your bank account has at least 12. Um, So, you're going to give like dollar sign the amount you want to give, followed by the word special. To eight four three two one. So when you give the amount and the word special, send it to eight four three two one. Go to the church center app. Look for the special fund to give whatever amount the Lord puts on your heart, as well as the website. And maybe you're like, hey, I've got I've got some cash I want to put into this. I'll k- a check that I want to put into this. On your way out today at the offering stations on the outside of the doors, you can put it in an envelope. Put it in the offering. Make sure you write on the envelope, Salvation City gift, Salvation City special offering, whatever, to signify where that money is going to go. And please give generously today um, to what God is going to do through Joel and Brittany. So if you guys would, would you please extend your hands this way? We want to pray really quick for Joel and for his family um, as they venture out into this new territory. Just doing this, I know that this is not an easy step. And so I really want to partner with you guys and pray for him. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray for Joel and for Brittany and for their beautiful family and for this team, God, that is venturing out into the city of Tampa. And God, we pray right now, Lord, that you would fill them fresh and new with your spirit, fill them fresh and new with vision, God, that they might be able to march and blaze a trail and start a wildfire downtown Tampa, Florida. Father, we pray, Lord, that just as it was prophesied as the Bay of the Holy Spirit, that Salvation City Church would be a culprit, would be a spark that would start a wildfire in Tampa, Florida. God, we pray, God, that in the night that you would give Joel and Brittany dreams, God, as the people that you would send to them. You would send them people who, God, maybe not have it all together, but were polished and passionate for what you're going to do. God, and we just pray, Lord, that you would give them strength, God. Gird them up as the enemy tries to attack between now and March 28th when they launch, God. Give them strength, God. Give them perseverance to push through and to press through. And God, we're going to give you all the glory for what's salvation city does in Jesus mighty name amen amen come on give it up for Joel one more time and without further ado Pastor Brent
1: yes yes all right hey before we jump into the word in just a second uh and and he's probably gonna hate this but he'll never forget it the rest of his life uh Miguel stand up real fast yes you (laughs) like I said you were just up here at the front worshiping a minute ago, and I did. You were worshiping. I looked down and I saw your feet, and I saw them walking on continents all over the United—or not the United States—all over the world. And there were, there were trails that went through the desert. Some of them were in, in high places. Some of them, they were, they were trails, and you were walking in all these places. And I was remembered of that, reminded of that verse, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news. And, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, I don't know if it's as a missionary or whatever. I don't want to kind of create that image, but I do want to say God's going to use you, not just here. God's going to use you around the world, bro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. All right, so we've been in this series called, It's the End of the World as We Know It. And today we actually get to talk on that specific theme. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking how... um it's like if you watch movies right now, there's this consistent theme that's been going on really for a long time, but it's more obvious right now than it might normally be, of this dystopian future of the end of the world and, and apocalyptic style of movies. And, and just walking you through a few of those. Let's just go through a, a movie library real fast. How about Mad Max? Like we know that's a remake of the old, the old one with, with Mel Gibson and stuff, but, but Mad Max, this, this newer image. How about War of the Worlds? Anybody see that? Anybody actually like it? <laughs> I didn't think so. But it was still a movie. Um, Day After Tomorrow, I think that's the next one, right? You me see that one, right? So this is image of the end of the world coming. This is probably my favorite one on the list, but you can have yours. But Book of Eli. Any Denzel Washington fans in the room? Yeah. Yeah, Denzel is the man. Uh, how about world War, Z, world War Z? I don't know why I can't say that. Yeah, with Brad Pitt. I almost said any Brad Pitt fans, but I don't want you ladies to get in trouble with your husbands. So we'll just, we'll just ignore that one for a second. But I can say this next one. How about uh, 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 I Am Legend and Will Smith? Who's better, Will Smith or Denzel? Yeah, that's nine, 9 o'clock said the same thing. We're more Denzel fans, apparently. But I can't go wrong with Fresh Prince, man. That's pretty awesome. But I Am Legend, that's a good one. How about The Predator? I said Predator. I meant Terminator, other movie, other sorts of movie because there's this whole run of of Terminator movies all the way up until more recent ones that they get worse and worse and worse. Um but but the Terminator movie, right? So it's the end of the world, this dystopian, they're trying to fix it. Uh how about how about um very modern uh, Avengers Infinity Wars, right? The world is over, it's going to end, right? It's we're starting over, we got to fix our problems. Uh, uh Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, right? We've all messed up. We've, you know, created these apes that took over the world and that's been going on for a long time and now there keeps more and more and more movies. Uh, the whole Divergent series, that whole series, that same kind of image, that, that, that end of the world. Uh, the Dark Tower, the Dark Tower is another one, right? Never saw that one, but the image right there just looks cool. Like, I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, the Maze Runner movies, same kind of thing, right? It's the end of the world, they're figuring this out, they're walking. And maybe the most obvious one that was also a cultural phenomenon that opened up the doors for all kinds of things is The Walking Dead. Now, that wasn't a movie, it's a TV show, but oh my goodness, the zombie genre coming out of The Walking Dead, and I know, I've I never even seen, in fact, I saw, I saw I've seen like clips of it, like when you're like in a store and it's playing, and I'm like, why do people like this? It looks so cheesy, but I know you guys who like it, you're going to throw tomatoes at me in a minute or something, because... I don't get it myself but but there's this whole phenomenon that's coming out of it and all of these are like this apocalyptic style of movie that's been coming out now for years right and thinking about that how 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 media almost seems to be telling us the world's going to end but it goes well beyond that because because right now, it's a cultural phenomenon that people are, are buying kits and, and doomsday kit-type things, the end-time supply kits. And when I was looking it up, I was interested to know that Costco is now selling a $6,000 doomsday kit. So if anybody want a doomsday kit, it's got enough food in it to last, like, forever, and it's, uh lasts for 25 years um, all I could think of is that office episode where Dwight's eating all those old tomatoes because it's like 25 years later. Um, and so you can buy a whole doomsday kit, which means people are apparently really into this because they have enough of those to actually sell them. Right. And then I was thinking about this and I was thinking this question. Is our world unconsciously prophetic? Is our world unconsciously prophetic? Like, is there a prophetic nature to these media, to this, to this sense inside of our own spirits? Because it's not just Christians who say this kind of stuff and follow this kind of stuff, although there's a lot of those, but it's just people in general that watch what's going on in our world and say, we cannot last this way. And it's almost in the DNA of humanity who's made in the image of God to go, one day the world as we know it will end. And you create this dystopian future based on an inner knowing that when you look at the futuristic movies, they are almost always this way and and not only not only are you seeing it with that but you see the things going on around the world and different things that are happening and you know the bible talks about the world groaning and it's almost like the world itself nature itself is almost groaning like we're in the last days or something and so you end up with our global pandemic and and all the uprisings that are happening around the world and things like brexit which kind of shocked the world and, and now we have racial tensions and injustice in the united states but it goes way beyond the united states it goes to all kinds of other countries happening you got blackouts happening wildfires happening tsunamis happening because of earthquakes that are happening you got people that are literally fleeing cities right now in the population of cities just diving as people run from the cities you got lockdowns that was happening you got disunity across the United States that won't last by the way you cannot be the United States as long as we have disunity Jesus famously said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand Abraham Lincoln stole the quote and said, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. Make no mistake, he was right, so was Jesus. The more divided we get, we will watch it crumble upon itself. And, but, but, but watching this stuff, and I think across the board, people start looking going, are we getting close to the end? Are we getting eerily close to the end of the world that if I'm not a Christian, I'm not even necessarily supposed to believe in? But yet, it seems like culture is screaming at us, the earth is screaming at us, nature, people around the world, that we're in this time. In fact, it's funny that people that were watching online today, and you're watching online today, some of you, because this topic just interests people. People want to know, are we in the end times? Well, I, I was looking this up, and I found this just to be interesting from a slightly different perspective as they polled pastors across the United States of America, and they said, are we in the end times? And if we are, why are we in the end times? What signs do we have? Now, these are signs you might not automatically think of that are biblical. So, for instance, 83% of pastors said we are in the last days because of false prophets and false teachings happening in our nation and around the world. 81% we said we are in the last days because of the many believers' faith growing cold. 79% said because of traditional morals becoming less accepted. 78% said wars and national conflicts are a sign that we're seeing uh, that, that lead towards the end times. Uh, 76% said earthquakes and other natural disasters. 75% said the number of people abandoning their Christian faith is a sign of the end times. 70% said famines. 63% said anti-Semitism towards our Jewish brothers and sisters worldwide. And, and you see these images And so it asks this big question, are we getting eerily close to the end times? Because it's not just the Bible that talks about it, so does Hollywood. Are we getting to this place? And that's what we want to address today. Now we've been in this book uh, of Revelation for the last, this is week number six, so five weeks prior to this, and we've been looking at different things, and and one of the things you see at the beginning of the book of Revelation is the letters to the churches. Now we are smack dab in the middle of that, and in the letters to the churches, there's one of those Revelation letters that's written to the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. Now, normally it would be right now that I would take you on a five minute uh, preview of the world of Sardis and what it looks like and that it's in modern day Turkey, which all the churches of Revelation were and, and all this kind of stuff. Today, we're going to look at it from a very different perspective, because the same way that Jesus is writing letters to the churches of Revelation, I still think he's writing letters to churches today. Personal correspondence, it doesn't need to be literally written, but personal correspondence to say the church of Arise needs blah, blah, blah. I am speaking to the church of America, the church of Hillsborough County, and I have a word for them. And of all of the churches, while all of them can be appropriated to us in some degree or not, of all the churches, this church of Sardis seems to me to have the most direct word for the American church that we are involved in right now. So instead of taking the context of Sardis like we usually do, I want to take that letter to the church of Sardis and actually put it into our context of where we're living right now in relationship with the end of the world and the return of Christ and the rapture of the church and those kind of things. So are you with me this morning? All right, let's read this together. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. See if I'm just waiting to get somebody. Somebody's going to be dozing off during this message. And it's going to be like the scary part of the movie. They throw popcorn up, you know, they drop their coffee. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, if I had a whole message, I could preach that last line. We've mentioned it every single week. We are in a moment right now where I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to the church all over again. And he's saying, he who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit's saying. Because right now we hear what the news is saying. We hear what politicians are saying. We hear what everybody else is saying. But there is a select few that can tune into the voice of God and tune out from the voice of everything else and say, God, I got to hear your voice in this moment. I pray that we are a church that has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, not just what the president is saying, not just what some news channel is saying, but what the Spirit is saying. That's where we need to be in this day and age that we live in today. So if you're taking notes I want to give you four points based on four verses back to back to back to back to back. All right, number one would be this. Revelation, I'm sorry, reputation is not always reality. Reputation is not always reality. You ever met somebody that had a great reputation, then you meet them and your opinion of them goes way down? I hope it wasn't me, but reputation is not always reality. Verse one said, I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive but you are dead. You are dead. I wonder, I wonder if America doesn't have the reputation of being alive, but we're really dead. I wonder if America doesn't have the reputation of being a light to the world when the truth is that we're really just adding darkness to it. I wonder if, if America doesn't have the reputation of being the country that does good for everybody else at the same time that we are the leading producers of porn around the world and the pedophilia and all the stuff that goes along with it, with human trafficking. I wonder if we're not living off of the reputation of a previous generation in the United States of America that was was more church attending and they were more religious than we are and they created a reputation that now we are living off of that reputation but it's not reality in our world. I wonder if we're not living in a world... Where good is called evil and evil is called good, but yet we still think in some ways that we're a Christian nation. I have news for you we're, we'll talk more about this in a couple weeks but we are a post-Christian nation now, walking amidst a post-Christian world. There's no more easier place to see this than the morality that has been flip-flopped, that now right is called good, and wrong is called good and good is called wrong. And, and you get this world that's flip-flopped upside down. And according to our culture, even the moral high ground has shifted, where, where it used to be that if I, if I, if I told somebody that, that I'm not going to have sex till I get married and, and that you shouldn't either, they would go, well, that's good. I'm glad you are that. You may be more moral than I am. I'm not going to do that. But you may be moral than, more moral than I am. But now it's actually flip-flopped and said, if you're going to do that and you're going to teach that, you are immoral because you're suppressing people's sexuality. So now you are evil, for teaching morality. Do you see the shift that has happened? And we have this reputation in America of being one thing, but the reality may be that we're something quite different. I wonder if Uncle Sam doesn't look a lot more like Uncle Rico. There's a few of you that get that. In Napoleon Dynamite, there was Uncle Rico, the, 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 you know, Napoleon's uncle who was still living in who was still living in this, this world of high school football, even though he was 40 years old. Come on, we all know somebody like that. Don't point at me. <laughs> and he was the one going, I could throw a football over the mountains. And right, he was always living in that world. I wonder if we in the American church are not still living in the world to go, look what we did and, and look how we sent missionaries around the world. Well, meanwhile, ch- countries are sending more missionaries to us than ever. And we need them. I wonder if, if, if we haven't shifted and we're living off of a reputation that simply isn't reality any longer. Open our eyes across this nation that we not only tolerate sin, we actually have started to encourage it. That we're not just sending missionaries. Missionaries are coming to us. A reputation. And because we live off of this reputation so many times, we somehow, because, because of the prosperity of America, try to take American religious activities and stick them into another country. I've literally seen this. And so, so you can go to uh, an African tribe and, and listen to their worship as they're worshiping around a campfire in a little tiny church, and they will model their worship after America because of the reputation of America. So they're singing Bethel songs in their native tongue. Or Hillsong, which is Australia, but singing Hillsong songs in their native tongue. Modeling their ministry after America because we have the reputation of being alive. But then look at the church. Let that sink in. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So I wonder in America if our reputation is not always reality. Secondly, which plays right off of that, we need to wake up to the signs of our times. Verse 2. Jesus says to the church, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up. If we're not careful, what begins to happen throughout life is our mind runs off of habits. Your brain is a relatively uh, lazy thing. If it doesn't have to use energy, it doesn't want to. Much like myself. Your brain is like that, and so if your brain can run off of a habit, it can do that using a lot less energy. It can conserve energy, so to speak, so that you have the energy when you really have to think through that math problem or that difficult subject or that that hard thing to figure out. It'll conserve energy for that by allowing you to run off of habits. Habits are really a beautiful thing. They can be a little scary sometimes, though. Uh, For instance, have you ever driven home, got all the way to your house, and then thought, I don't even remember driving home? We've all been there, right? That's the power of habits in your mind. So, so you drive all the way home, you get home, you just drove a 2,000-pound car that is a killing machine if it's driven wrong, and you don't even remember stopping at the stop sign or stopping at the red light or turning right there. Somehow you left the place you were at, ended up home, and you're like, how did that even happen? Because your habits went into place. To put it this way, it's like sleepwalking. And you can sleepwalk through life because of habits. You can sleepwalk through your Christianity because of habits. You can get up on Sunday morning, get the right clothes on, come in here, stick your hands up in the air, kneel down, whatever, listen to the right servant because of a habit and you are actually sleepwalking through the motions. And the hard part is that's the way your brain likes to function so you actually have to battle against it in order to not do that. And it begins to happen. And anytime you sleepwalk, you do stupid things. Nobody wrote their doctoral thesis or dissertation when they're sleepwalking while they're asleep. If you could do that, I would give me the pill, whatever that would be. right? Nobody, nobody does anything profound. Nobody solved cancer or whatever COVID, dis, you know, uh, while they're sleeping. It doesn't. You end up doing dumb things when you're sleepwalking. When I was a little boy. Um, I didn't sleepwalk very often, but it's more common with little kids than I guess than it is with adults oftentimes. And when I was a little boy, uh, I I remember this. I mean, I was pretty little, maybe five years old or something like that. And I was late. I was in bed. I woke up and I had to pee. So I got out of bed and I went out the room and I went into the bathroom and I was going to the bathroom. Except while I was going to the bathroom, I actually woke up from the sleepwalking state I was in and I was in the closet peeing on my brother's shoes. (laughs) It's the same brother that's an atheist to this day, and maybe that's where it started at, I don't know. I never actually told him this, so I don't know, you know. He's probably like, why do my shoes smell? Because they dry pretty quick, you know. Next day they were probably dry. But you do dumb things when you're sleepwalking. And that's what we find ourselves in the American church. We have come out of this place of prosperity. We have come out of this place of revival and what God has done in the 50s and 60s and the beautiful things that God did and Billy Graham and these great, and we end up on the other side with this reputation that allows us to sleepwalk at the same time that we end up saying and doing the dumbest things in the middle of it. The good news is this. Nothing wakes us up like a crisis. If you are in a dead sleep, let somebody drive into your house with their car, because they're sleepwalking, you'll wake up real quick, won't you? What if, what if, if, just stay with me, what if the letter to the church of Sardis, Jesus said, wake up? What if the letter to the church of America said, wake up? And since you are not waking up, I'm going to help you wake up. I'm going to send you one crisis after another crisis after another crisis, after another crisis, because nothing wakes you up like a crisis everybody's focused on COVID. That's not our only crisis. We're focused on racial injustice. That's not our only crisis. We forgot we had a crisis after another crisis after another crisis before we got to the ones we're facing now. We had a national debt crisis, and then we just added trillions to it, right? We had crisis upon crisis upon crisis. Maybe, maybe the crisis serves a purpose in the church to go, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, church, Wake up, people who are not even part of the church that will become part of the church. The Ezekiel prophecy to dat dry bones. Arise out of the dry bones. Wake up, church that is sleeping right now. So we got we to wake up, and nothing wakes us up like a crisis. The problem is, in the case of America, we don't always wake up because we've become, say it this way, we've become accustomed to our own stink. We've become so accustomed to the sin of America that now it's normal. We all know that if you took somebody from 1955, brought them into our world right now, they would have a fit. They would be going, what in the world is allowed? But we have become that frog in the kettle. We've all heard that parable or story probably before. The frog in the kettle said, you know how you boil a frog? You just heat up the water a little bit at a time, and the frog never realizes it's heating up, so you can actually boil a frog. And, and if, but if you put him in hot water, he'll jump out. But if you slowly heat the water up, he'll just stay there and get boiled. I don't know if that's true or not, because that's just gross, and I don't want to boil a frog. But I do know it's true of you and I. I do know it's true of us that we can become acclimated to our own stink so we don't smell it. I was a youth pastor for years, Pastor Kieran. Teenage boys. I love (laughs) y'all. Can get so acclimated to their own stink. That they don't smell it teenage boys are notorious because they never use deodorant and all of a sudden they're still playing the games basketball whatever that they played when they were kids but now they start stinking and then they come in they just change clothes go to wherever and all of a sudden they're sitting next to you in church going my god somebody buy that kid some right guard <laughs> because everybody around them can smell it but not them i wonder i wonder i wonder as a person who's traveled the world If the nations around the world don't look at us going, what have you lost? And we're going, I'm fine. What are you talking about? Everything's great. If the nations of the world don't look at us and go, that's pretty stinky what's going on there. That's pretty messed up what's going on there. And yet we don't even notice because we don't smell our own stink anymore. Leads to the third one. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures for this because there's so many. We'll talk about it in a minute. But the third thing is this. Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. And the reason we need to wake up is because Jesus is returning. The end is near. Revelation 3.3 I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now here's the problem with this. Many of us grew up hearing about the return of Christ all the time. It's the end of the world. Jesus is returning. And if you grew up in the Pentecostal world, it was even worse. Because if you sinned and Jesus returned, like you lost it, bro. And sin was very, um, you know, if you went to a movie and Jesus returns while you're in that movie, Pastor Jason, you know about this. Like, you better pray Jesus doesn't return while you're in that movie. And that's just PG. <laughs> See, some of you all are laughing because you don't know what I'm talking about. Thank God. Others of you are laughing because you live through it, Right? If you have that dirty thought or whatever, you know, you better ask forgiveness before Jesus returns. He can... And so I remember being a little boy, and, and, and somebody said that Jesus would return in the twinkling of an eye. And so I can remember like trying to learn how to say forgive me in the twinkling of an eye. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Just to make sure, man, like if Jesus was coming, I could be ready. Forgive me. Forgive me. Right? We, we, we create these ridiculous concepts like that. Like, Anybody else, come on, if you grew up in Pentecost or if you grew up in the church at Alvaro, you know this back in the day, there was some moment your parents weren't home, like you got out of bed, they weren't there, and you walked around and everything else was there except them. And you're like, I missed the rapture! It's over! I missed it! Your heart starts pounding. You didn't have a cell phone back then. You couldn't call mom and dad. They were gone. Jesus is returned. Pastor Kim tells this crazy story. I think it was his pastor or somebody that he knew years ago but, but uh, that, that had played a prank on his wife and actually taken off all of his clothes and put them on the couch. Like, just like they're watching TV with the remote right there at the end of the hand and all this at the end of the shirt and all this kind of stuff and left it right there. So she came out and saw it and thought she had been left behind. Oh my gosh. There's a true story, at least I've heard it's a true story. I think it happened here in Florida with the Royal Rangers, which is like the boys' ministry for the assemblies of God. And, and, uh, and they were some kind of camp out somewhere here in Florida. And this one father and son had decided to camp out a little ways away from all the other campsites. And so that night, like a tornado warning or some kind of or, or a, uh, hurricane warning or something was kind of coming through. And so they evacuated the camp first thing, you know, and said, middle of the night, hey guys, you got to go, leave all your stuff, you got to go, you can come back and get it tomorrow, that kind of storm, right? Except for these two that were left out because they were not with the rest of the group. So this father and son wake up the next morning walking around and everything is there except the people. (laughs) Come on, you know, if you grew up in church like that, you would have been scared to death. But the problem is, the problem that arises, no pun intended, is that we can become so familiar with the story of Jesus returning that we go into autopilot, we sleepwalk, and we stop talking about it, and it becomes that we're almost cynical towards it. We almost become that person or that group of people that, that, that like, really? We're still talking about this? He hasn't returned yet. And let's be real. We've already lived through you know, the end of the world at least once in Y2K. <laughs> and we made it. We're still here, <laughs> right? Some of you teenagers are like, what is he talking about? Ask your parents later. So, so we've already lived through it. Are we really at the end of the world? Listen, I'm going to help all the guys out in this room. You need to pretend you are, even if you don't believe you are. It's a great pickup line. Listen, sweetheart, the world's going to end. What's it hurt to go on a date with me? Like, like you can, you can really use it to your advantage. You know, if the world's going to end, what's it hurt? You know, Monday night, you and me, dinner. (laughs) But if we're not careful, we become cynical and we forget the truth of the return of Christ. Christ. Here's the thing. Jesus is coming again. It's mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament writings. One out of every 26 verses statistically refers to the second coming of Christ. It's crazy. He's coming again. Don't don't become so cynical about it that you somehow don't think about it or it doesn't matter to our lives anymore just because we don't preach about it all the time anymore. He is coming, and he's coming personally. He's not sending anybody else. John 14, 3 says, And I go and prepare a place for you, or if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And he's coming unexpectedly. He's coming unexpectedly. Listen to Mark 13. He says, Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their own assignment and task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you. What? Huh. Huh. Do not let him find you sleeping. Wake up! It's the same message of Sardis. Don't be sleeping. Don't be sleepwalking through life. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. In other words, wake up. But our problem is, so often we've become so familiar with the story, and then we stop telling the story. So some of us grew up, man, the mark of the beast was coming any day. You know, they, I mean, you watched the old movie, your head was getting chopped off with a guillotine and it was going to be over. And, and you watched all those movies that scared you to death when you were kids. And then you kind of graduated out of that season. And now we just don't talk about it anymore. Let me, let me tell you why. Let me, let me take you to a quick church history tour. When we were in that season, there became an escapist mentality. I just got to escape from this world. I just got to get out of here, right? Jesus, come back, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We came out of that and said, all right, we don't want to escape. We want to bring God's presence here. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not just about escaping to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. And so there's been this whole movement of that. But let me tell you what the truth is. It's a balance. Both of those things are true. You should be one looking forward to heaven at the same time you're bringing heaven to earth. It's not about preach this way or preach this way. It's about both of them together. At the same time that I look towards heaven, I look towards my eternal home, I pray for the rapture, I want Jesus to come back. At that same time, I'm going, God, let your kingdom come right now on me, through me. Let healing and miracles flow through me. And in that moment, in that moment, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up together in heaven. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. We end up in a new body and all our limitations will be gone. Philippians 3 says, But our citizenship is, not in heaven, is, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. You will be transformed. You will be made glorious. Look in the mirror. You're probably not nearly as glorious now as you were. You will be made new and glorious. I will have six pack abs. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But we're going to be made new and it's important to recognize that and we don't walk around looking to escape this earth but we do walk around with the realization especially as we look at the world today that i don't know if this is the end of the world or not but we may be walking through the end of the united states of america as we know it and here's the key with that in the middle of that crisis precedes revival right We've heard that every week of this series. I want you to keep getting that in your skin. We are in the midst of crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And in the middle of that, the church of Jesus Christ could be the place of revival in America all over again. It could be the greatest days for the church. Because we allow the crisis to wake us up and bring revival. Fourth and last thing, Jesus is returning, but he's returning for a pure church. This is one of the hardest things in the American church today because nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about hurting anybody's feelings. God forbid you hurt somebody's feelings. We've become so fragile that we can't hear the truth. And so I want you to hear this from me in love. Jesus is returning for a pure church. You see this in Revelation 3 and, or 4, 3 and 4 and 5. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That means, that means they're still walking right. They're not full of sin. They will walk with me dressed in white. doesn't mean literally dressed in white. It means, it means they're walking in holiness, not dirty from the world. Dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. In other words, be holy. Ephesians 5, talking about Jesus returning for his church, says, And to, the, and to present her, that's the church to Jesus, And to present her to himself as a radiant church, Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Revelation 19, 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and and his bride has made herself ready. The bride of Christ is the church, capital C, around the world. Brides are funny about wedding days. I've had a lot of people, I've officiated a lot of weddings over the course of time. I've officiated some weddings that were very late. There is a group of people in this room right now. There is a couple that I was a part of their wedding years ago, That was very late getting there. Why? Because the bride has to be spotless. The bride has to be there's two people in this room. <laughs> I won't say anybody's names, Kayla. There are two. Why, why, why does that happen? Because the bride wants to be perfect. The bride wants to be spotless. She's been planning the station. She was five years old playing with little Barbie dolls and they're getting married and then it's leading up to this day and she's gonna put on that dress 14 times and try on 150 different dresses to find the right one and and all this kind of stuff make sure the hair and makeup and everything's gotta be perfect, perfect, perfect. Why? Because she wants to be spotless for the groom. Can you imagine a wedding and I don't know. Maybe this has happened. I'm sure there's weird people out there. So, 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 can you imagine a wedding though, where the groom is up here, you know, next to the pastor? He's all excited. You know, you can't see the bride that day and all that kind of stuff that goes on. So he's up here and he's all excited, and he looks, and they swing open the doors, and they start playing the wedding march, and the bride starts walking in, and she is filthy. She looks like she just changed the oil on a Mack truck. <laughs> like she's been rolling around in the pig pen. Got dirt all over her, her dress is all worn and tattered, lipstick all over the side of her face, just looking like a mess, right? We all laugh because no bride would ever do that. We are the bride of Christ. And in the time that Christ is away from us, it is our job to be preparing for him. Looking beautiful, which means looking holy and righteous and spotless in his sight, wearing white same reason a bride wears white to this day because it's a symbol of, of, of perfection. It's a symbol of, of without blemish. That same idea is the reason we should be wearing white to Christ. But when a, when a, when a bride walks in in that dress and he hasn't seen her all day and she's all dolled up, how many times have you seen the groom look over and his eyes pop? He's like, that's my girl. Yeah, she's mine. You You know? And she walks up and he can't keep his eyes off of her as she walks up. That's the way Jesus wants his bride, that's us, to be. That's the way he wants us to be. So, so, so how should this affect us? How should we live, right? How should we be? Here it is, uh, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Sounds like, in a, sounds like a, a, a dystopian movie. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? This is it right here, right? Since you know the end is coming, since you know there's going to be a time Jesus returns, and I realize I'm lumping all that together and theologically it's not correct, but stay off me. Since you know all that, how, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed His coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. This is one of the reasons some people believe the world will end like this in nuclear war. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Listen, how ought we live? We live holy. We live godly. We live holy. We live godly. You know what we don't do? That is the human temptation is get caught up in when Jesus is returning. The question is not when. The question is, is he coming back? The Bible is very clear. Christians around the globe, while we have different theologies, all agree with the second coming. It's one of those core principles. Jesus will return. We get caught up on, is, is it Friday? If you grew up in the era that I grew up in, you know this prayer. Jesus, please come back after I get married. <laughs> right? If you're my generation, you pray that prayer at some point. Like, you know... God, I really like Ada a lot. I want to marry her. Like, give me at least a week. You can come back after the the honeymoon. Honeymoon's over. You can return then. But really, God, one week. That's all I'm asking. One week. Y'all are laughing because you prayed those same prayers if you were young men, young women, right? We get caught up in when? And then we do stupid stuff. You know, in the 1800s is the first time this happened in a mass incident in 1800s there was an evangelist out of new york by the name of william miller they actually called his followers risers by the way which is ironic you'll see why in a minute uh but the this this, this uh evangelist uh, actually predicted the date of april 3rd 1843 would be the date that jesus would return and they knew it right and so they were part of the seventh day adventist movement and all these people following his teachings knew jesus is returning that day april 3rd uh, 1843 jesus is returning that day so on april 3rd 1843 they could find his people, literally about a half a million people across the Northeast at that time period. There were some of them that climbed up to the top of mountains because they wanted to be the first ones to go. I'm going to get a head start on everybody else, right? Yeah, you're down there, I'm up here, ha ha. And literally they said there was was other ones that would go next to graves of their loved ones, right? So if you had lost your spouse or something, they sat down next to the grave because when the dead in Christ shall rise, I'm going with them to heaven. I'm not going by myself, I'm taking my spouse. It's kind of sweet, it's kind of romantic in a kind of creepy way. My favorite one is they said that there were actually some rich, you know, kind of to-do ladies, you know, very at that time period. And those ladies all went out to a town by themselves or went outside the town by themselves because when they got raptured up to heaven, they wanted to make sure they didn't have to go with everybody else because we're first-class people, not those kind of people. Right. Come on, y'all. You can at least laugh at that. It's just so sad. Like, I'm not sure they would get raptured, but it's hilarious. And so, so often we find ourselves in that place, right? We get locked in this ridiculous idea of like when Jesus is coming. I don't know when, but he is coming. And I do know it is pretty clear the signs towards the end. We get caught up in America seeing only American signs, not world signs. Well, Well, Christianity is dying. That's not true. Christianity is booming in China. Christianity is booming in other countries around the world. It's hurting in America, big time. So, so don't get so caught up in American struggles and crisis that you don't see the world. And I don't know if I can tell you that we're at the end of the world, but I can tell you the United States cannot last in the way we are functioning now long term. We cannot last as a divided country. And therefore, it's our job as Christians to be bridges oftentimes, not people that cause the divide to be even further. So so, we need to, so, so if we can't predict the date, what do we need to do? We need to be ready. We need to be Ready. Matthew 24, he said, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect it. Mark 13, he said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of a house will come back. I read that to you earlier. Whether in the evening or at midnight or in the, when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Do not let him find you what? Sleeping. Same letter to Sardis. It's the same letter... Or same thing that Jesus said to his disciples. Same thing that God is saying to us today. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Allow the crises that are happening around us to shake us a little bit. To make us open our eyes at the world around us and say, listen. Because you don't just need the Bible to shout it to you. Media is shouting it to you. Hollywood shouting it to you. We just went through all those movies. Nature is crying out to you, shouting it to you as you watch things happen. And crisis after crisis... To get the church of Jesus Christ to wake up. And you know what you call something that wakes up? Revived. That's why I believe that this crisis that we're facing will revive and wake up the church and cause a stirring that in the middle of things that are a mess in our world, you can see the church of Jesus Christ be stronger than it's ever been in the United States. Because we get revival happening as we wake up. Wake up. So how do we live holy and godly lives? We watch and we pray. We store up treasures in heaven. We do our best to to stay pure before the Lord. In in a real sense, not just in the natural that that some of us grew up with, but living holy before the Lord in our own hearts and recognizing our own sin patterns and and living holy before Him. (laughs) Anybody remember when we used to do rapture checks? That was a rapture check are you ready? Are you ready? I close. This, this, this is the last thought. Revelation 3, 5. I told you I'm going verse by verse. says this, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge the name before my father and his angels. There is a book of life. The question is, is your name in it? There is a ledger of those who are on God's side and those who are not. There is a ledger of those who have surrendered and given their lives to Christ and those who have not. Here's, here's the kicker. Let's, let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. In all of our movies about the end of the world and everything's going to end and you know, this, this apocalyptic style of newly, you see this pattern over and over and over again. The pattern goes like this, that, that somewhere along the line, humanity messed up. Now we're on the other side of it somewhere. We need to go back and fix it so that we don't mess up or restart it somewhere else over here. Probably the most obvious example of this is Terminator. You know, when I say Terminator, I mean the original one. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. But the original Terminator movie. In the original Terminator movie, they have to go find John Connor and fix the mistake that actually led to the oblivion before it happens. So let's go back in time and let's fix this mistake over here so that we don't end up over there. Does that make sense? And you see that idea played out over and over in those type of movies, right? Here's the thing. That works in the movies, it does not work in real life. At some point, every person in this room will die. You will breathe your last And what you did on this side of eternity will affect where you are on that side of eternity. You don't get to go back and say, I want to start 10 minutes before I died and I can fix this and I can get right with God. At some point, Jesus will part the clouds and come rapture his church, meaning take them out of of this world. And you don't get to do a twinkling of an eye. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You don't get to do that. You don't get to go back and fix it. Like taking a test, At 10 a.m., the books are closed, the test is done, what you've done is done, you don't get to go back and retake it. And that is what some of us grew up with that's so scary. Because if I could go back like Terminator, I could fix some of the stuff in my past. If I could go back, I could change it. But I can't go back. We can't go back and fix the mistakes once the end has come. So would you stand up with me around this room? There's no do-overs. When I was a kid, we'd play football and all that kind of stuff, and somebody would kick the ball out of bounds, and we would say, do-over, do-over. There's no do-overs in this. Once that final clock punches, once Jesus returns, once the end of the world happens, once you breathe your last, there's no do-over. It's what you have done now that matters. So as we wrap up this service, would you bow your heads with me for just a second? There are some of you in this room, some of us, that we're not walking with God. There's some people that you never have been, you've never had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you had a relationship with the church, but you never had a relationship with Jesus. There are others that you've walked away from God. You used to have a relationship with him, but now something has happened, life has happened. And you walked away from that relationship. And in both cases, God is calling you back to him this morning. And I want to be clear, not out of fear, not out of the world could end tomorrow. But the truth is that is that, that, that could happen. The truth is we're not promised tomorrow. You could be in a car accident tonight. And you don't get to redo it. So God's calling you to this place to say, I will live for him. And by the way, God could have had you live any time in history, but he chose to have you living here today, which tells me that he has a special calling on your life, that you have special gifts that you may never have even touched on. You may not even realize that God wants to use you during this unique season of world history. But there's some of us and we need to make our lives right with God this morning. I want to pray over you in just a moment. But if that's you in this room, just stick your hand up and wave it at me so I can pray over you. Amen. 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 Come on, around the room. Just just pray with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me pure. And from this day forward, I will follow you. I surrender completely to you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And If you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor and see one of us afterwards. I don't know, Tony, if you can get to that slide. I forgot to put it in mine. But, but also, if there's a number you can text and we'll start a 21-day conversation with you uh, through devotions and stuff like that to help you on this journey. It's a really beautiful thing. But I want us, I want us to come to this place here at the end that we recognize and wake up this weird thing happened. Um, we were um, uh, participating in a funeral and Pastor Jason and I were in the sound booth running sound and things a couple weeks ago for Ralph Abar's father. And they started singing this song in Spanish. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, yeah, okay. And they're singing it in Spanish and I'm like, Jason, are they singing in the, when the roll is called up yonder? And he's like, yeah, man. I'm like, how do you translate yonder? <laughs> yeah. That's not even a word. He's like, yeah, I didn't even know that was an English song. And I'm like, I didn't know it was a Spanish song. And we're both singing the same song. When the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. Yes. So how do you live? How do you live in order to be there when your name is called? Here's the key. Take each moment and follow God. If you told me without a doubt Jesus was returning tomorrow night, I really don't think it would change my life a whole lot. And I think that's the point. That we live our life daily as if Jesus is returning tomorrow. That that we hug our our loved ones a little tighter, that we watch out for people, that we love people the way we should, that we don't live clinging to everything of this world, that we hold it very loosely. And I don't know, maybe there'd be some differences, but I think as as, as as a whole, I don't think there'd be a lot of differences. And I think that's the way God intended us to live. That's why we both say kingdom come at the same time we look forward to going to the kingdom. And I think that's the way God intended us to live. So is this the end of the world? I don't know, but you need to live like it is. That's the point. That was the whole point all along. Jesus is returning. And whether it's this week or next year or in a hundred years, I live the same way because he could be returning now, today. Tomorrow. And that's the point. So, with that being said, where's Pastor Mike at? See, back in the green room. Oh, he's coming up here. With that being said, I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Mike. One more time, would you put your hands together? Pastor Mike, killing it in South Shore
0: hey guys wasn't that such an amazing message if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel and to follow our podcast also make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag myAriseChurch. church for more information or to give to this ministry go to myarisechurch.com i hope to see you guys soon